Alright, today I'll be talking to James Barrel. He has 30 years, 7 years as a hot shot, 2 years in contract, and how many? 20, 21 seasons with the BLM. And uh, we're going to tell his story because he's the OG, of old school firefighter. And also, uh, this we're sponsored by uh, MREs, where what the rookies eat, we don't. <laughs> and uh, the 440 Gatorade Challenge. <laughs> and, uh, so we're gonna see what experience he brings to the table. All right, Sparrow. What's up, Punch? Hey, Dana. So uh, I've been hearing a lot of podcasts, and I wanted to have your experience on that. On wildland wildfire, uh, wildland fires, and uh, first question I want to know is from you: is that uh, what was your best fire and uh, your best season you had in your entire career? My entire career, yeah, would, be, would probably be when I was on the hot shots. My fourth season with the hot shots was my first year as a Sawyer in 1988. Uh, it was just a, a totally new and different challenge for me running the chainsaw on fires. You know, I, I was up front a lot more, had to make more decisions, and uh, you know, and then, then there's the safety factor in there. That was definitely my most challenging, best summer I've ever had on a fire, is running the chainsaw on a slot tooth I remember I was scared of the saws, and you taught me how to run the chainsaw, man, and that helped me a lot with your confidence. Because man, the first time I ever seen the saw, and we're doing project work, I remember some that kid getting his leg cut with this chalk saw, and I was like, holy shit. Dude, that's, I mean, that scared me. But when you came around and you taught me, because I knew, I know you since what, 2001, 2000? 2001. Yeah, that's when we started together. That was a long time ago. But yeah, you're, you're a, your saw expertise showed me a lot. So that yeah, kind of helped me a lot doing that stuff, man. So, uh, yeah, dude, uh, I mean, on the, on the saw crew, when you were there, I mean, what were some of your epic fires you had? Or some you can remember? Well, the one in 1988 where it was my best year, that's the year of Yellowstone. I never did make it to Yellowstone, nor the crew did it. But we were in the Print Church Wilderness Fire on the Battle Axe Fire for 34 days. And we were the only crew on that fire because everybody else was in Yellowstone and it was just an amazing fire being up there on the wilderness area like that. And, you know, we were seeing black bears often and, and uh, at first, the first two days we had to use light hand on the hand tactics where we didn't use the chainsaw. It was the misery whips, the old fashioned saws until we got approval from the forest manager where it was okay to use chainsaws. And so that was a different experience. And uh, just that one where it was so remote where they had to fly in our food every day. And uh, with, a, with a small Cessna landing on an airstrip, you know, up in the mountains in the wilderness area. And uh, we were lucky enough to have a helicopter there. So we got a ride every morning, except for there was a couple nights where it, it would rain and we'd have to walk out and it'd be a two, three hour hike out to get back to camp. But, uh, that's my most memorable one on the, the hot shots. And then there's one in 87 that sticks in my mind. It's called the Siege of 87, where uh, 
there was 200 fires that started between Northern California and Southern Oregon. And with that, eight of them were doing the big project fires. And we were one of the first crews to arrive on the Limedike complex, which was by Hayport, California. Uh, they started on Saturday night. By Sunday morning, we were in California, caught a plane, went up to the fire, and there, I was still a line digger in 87, and we had a 54-hour shift. And on that same fire, we worked four shifts, and they gave us two days off already. <laughs> you know, and it was just due to, you know, us working that 54-hour shift. And then on that same fire, we ran out. Back in those days, there was no bottled water. Everything was a potable drinking water. And, uh, with all the big, there was eight uh, of the big fires that got going, and with everybody ordering, uh, we didn't have water for a few days. And Budweiser heard about it. We're gonna pause for a second. We're back. So we're talking about the drinking water. Budweiser heard that we didn't have no water, and they actually shut down their facility. They must have one close by, and they canned up a bunch of drinking water for some cans, and they were white. Said Budweiser, drinking water only, not for resale. So, and, and on that fire too was the first time where we came uh, across quite a few marijuana fields up on the fire line. And uh, so, those are the two most memorable fires that I remember having when I was on the shop crew. And with the BLM, you know, uh, in 2007, I would probably have to go back to the Murphy's fire. And what was unique about that was uh, that fire grew to be 653,000 acres. But on the first on the first shift there, I was asked to do a burnout. My truck plus three other trucks. And, and it's only due to the practice that Poncho and myself did in Rogerson back in 2003 and four and five, where we practiced burning off our tires, is what made that successful. But there was the burnout the the IC wanted me to do what it took hours and hours to do to go around this big loop where I could cut across the loop and we did that with our tire tracks. That's something that we had practiced while we were at the guard station in Rogerson and it turned out very successful, sped things up very fast and uh, just a new tactic. You know, so had many great fires altogether. I've been on around 700 fires. And I got two summers left, then I retired out of fire and stopped the fishing. <laughs> this is what kind of knowledge I want to gain before OG people like you leave the fire and then uh, and, uh, new people starting their career in fire. Like, I want them to know how to work along with the on fires. With your knowledge, I mean, hope this gains a lot of people's knowledge how to, you know, how to deal with the you know, tactics and strategies and, you know, I mean, even getting along with other people. You know, as for you, when you go out on a fire, I mean, what do you look at? I mean, what do you tell your rookies or your second year, your third years? I mean, when, you know, what they can pay attention to when they're going out there? You know, it all depends on the situation. Some of, the, some of them is a, if you're driving to the fire, you know, and you're, engine you know sometimes you can be 20 30 40 miles away and see the smoke column 
you know, some of the questions that could be going through your mind, and, and you can be quizzing the rookies and stuff, is uh, what do you see? What's the smoke column doing? Is it bent over? Is it getting high winds on it? Is it white smoke? Is it dark smoke? You can tell kind of what the fire activity is doing without even being there. You know, one of the best things you can ever do is teach a firefighter to think for themselves and ask questions. You know, I, I had the privilege of, when I was on the shop crew working with Cole Johnson, he was a, he's a doctor now in Twin Falls, Idaho, Dr. Cole Johnson, a pediatrician. But on my very first fire in 1985, my very first fire, he would come up to me. What's this fire doing? I don't know. He said, maybe you should stop taking line, take some time and look. The next day, what are the clouds doing? I don't know. Take some time and look. And it's that's something that I do all the time now. You know, it's uh, it made you think for yourself because you are. It doesn't matter if you're a rookie, first year, fifth year, tenth year. You are still your first safety officer. If something doesn't feel right, let people know. You know, don't go into a situation. You know, and, and as for supervisors, you know, sometimes you got to take that into consideration. And maybe they're, they're not seeing the whole story. You can point things out to them. Okay, it's safe because of this. Or we're not going to do it because of this. You know, it, work, it works both ways, you know. And, but you got to pass on that knowledge and let them know. And uh, one of the greatest things I think you could teach any firefighter is, is fire behavior, you know. And, and uh, if you got to hike into a fire, Listen to see if the branches are breaking, the twigs are breaking underneath your shoes. When you walk by a tree, grab a tree and just break it or see if it bends. See how much moisture is in the trees. See how dead they are. There's many things you can be doing. Knowing where the fire is at, which way you're going into it, and what's between you and the fire. You know, where's your safety zone should be the first thing. You know, you get, we get asked that all the time. You know, I love it when the rookies ask the questions. That means their head's in the game. They're thinking about it. You know, sometimes the second and third year folks, they take things for granted. And, and that's when they should have their game, head in the game even more, because sometimes the rookies will ask them questions, and we want to be sure that we're giving them good, safe answers. You know, so that way everybody feels comfortable in doing what they're doing. You know, you bring a lot of good opinions there. And for me, it's like, man, what's the weather doing right now compared like for example when you go into a fire and, you know you I mean most of you know when we were fired we were fired together for a while and then uh, you know Nido is a way different ball game you know when the six everybody gets all panicking the 60 mile winds hit it you know and we had trouble even looking for the fire it put its own, own self out you know back in the day you remember that been on fire where the winds are so much it picks up the dirt or, or <laughs> in, in real sandy areas yeah, and yeah. it out and they're like <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, as long as there's no houses close by or something. Yeah, but Mother Nature is going to do what she wants to do. Yeah. You know, that's the, the main thing in fire. You know, the hills don't change. The fuels are not going to change. It's the weather. Sunny one minute, windy the next minute. Could be raining. Could be cloudy. You know, and uh, yeah. you know, so better keep your head on a swivel. 
you know, it's not all about cell phones nowadays. Back in the days, we didn't even have cell phones. Have cell phones you know? <laughs> Which was probably actually better because we weren't worried about text yeah. or talking. You know, it was easier to keep your head in the game. You know, we we were there to do a job, stay more focused. You know, and you know, don't get sidetracked so much. Oh yeah. I think, you know, I think when people, when people's like, oh man, stressing out and like becoming all depressed and, you know, I think because they look at their cell phone more often, you know, on fire yeah. and that, and they see their families getting like, oh man, look at this dude, like they're having a great time and I'm out here busting my ass and, but dude, you signed up for a job that, that, you know, you're committed to the job sometimes, but sometimes, you know, we, we do have that leeway day, man. I need a week to know to say I need to go to this party, but I think cell phones is one of the biggest problems that you know people get stressed and depressed because they're missing that time with their family or friends or whatever. That's what I that's what my 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 opinion is that people get all depressed on the fire line, you know, because they weren't used to having like us. We didn't even have cell phones back in the day, and now we do. So it's kind of like, man. You know, I'm hearing uh, people talk, oh man, I'm just getting depressed or getting, you know, what's the other word I'm trying to look for there, squirrel? Help me out. You know, just worried. I, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Just homesickness, maybe, well, for these rigs. They just want to be with their buddies, they want to be part of it, so they're too busy taking pictures. And, <laughs> exactly. You know, and stuff yeah. And, you know, some of the areas we can't even have, you can't even use your cell phone. You know I what I mean? And, and those are the best areas. Yeah, that's true. So those, those are the areas like, man, you can catch up, you know. And cell phones can be good. They can be a tool. Talk with dispatch. There's apps on there that we could use. Find your elevation, oh, yeah. your GPS, your coordinates and stuff fast. And they are good. But, you know, when, when people are sitting there, you get a break and everybody pulls out their cell phones. You get a break, get water up. You know, tie your boots. You know, make yourself going to be comfortable. Because... You don't know what the two or three hours yeah. next is going to be, you know. And check your pack for, you know, what you're missing, or maybe you think, man, I need to put more water or more Gatorade. Or, I mean, you know what I mean? Yes. I mean, so uh, when you're on the, you know, compared to the Hasha and then the engine engine life, I mean, what's some of the equipment? I mean, what do you put on your pack? I mean, what do you have on? What do you carry? What I carry, I carry enough water that's going to last me for. One day, you know, which is comes up to about one gallon of water, you know, minus maybe uh, about three quarters of a gallon of water and a couple Gatorades, one lunch. Uh, you got your fire shelter, of course, and then a rain jacket, and then uh, I carry a little handsaw in mine, and you know, flagging extra batteries for your radio and the headlamp and the headlamp, extra batteries there. Molsky. <laughs> fiber tape, you know. People, it, it's easy to overdo it. But, but just, you know, uh, uh, a gentleman one time, his name is Greg Haxby. I said, Greg, he worked for the BLM, he was a FOS, type 3 IC. And he was always like spot on when he did his, when he uh, would call in a fire and everything. I said, Greg, how, how do you do that? He says, I look at the fire now. And if it continues burning like the way it is right now, in three hours, what am I going to need? That's how you order. You know, and it's the same way in my pack. 
I know I'm not going to be away from my truck nowadays for more than 24 hours, or I shouldn't. So I pack for 24 hours, enough water and food for 24 hours, and then after that, you'd probably get flown into you, or somebody'd walk back to the truck to get more. You know, so. Yeah, it's you know, it's, I mean, I carry some bunch of stuff on my pack, but when I do mobile attack, I, you know. A lot, I get frowned upon like, hey, why do these guys have their pistol belts while doing mobile attack? Yeah. You know what I mean? For me, my concept is like, hey man, you know, have your pack ready if you're going to go on a hike. But if you're next yeah. to the truck and you're doing mobile attack like the south, you know, in Twin Falls District, you're running a gunning, dude. You're, yeah. you're going to wear out your people way faster yeah, with sure. that heavy pack. You know what I mean? You know, I prefer the fanny. The, the, <laughs> the pistol belt. The, the pistol belt with the fire shelter on it. Versus your full-on web gear. For that reason, there's no reason to have all that. Unless you're going to be away from the truck. If it's going to take you more than five minutes to get to get back to the truck, you know, then uh, probably your full-blown web gear. But if, if you're next to the truck and you're flipping the holes from one side of the truck to the other, you'd be walking for miles, stumbling over rocks, you know, you'd be stepping over weeds, sagebrush, and going through fences and stuff. The pistol back, the pistol belt, belt is fine. Yeah, uh, but you remember that old school time we used to ride on top of the engines? <laughs> yeah, one time, the Twin Falls District, we used to be able to ride up on top of the engines until 2006. When I first started with the BLM in 2000, up until 2006, we were able to have one person ride on top of the trucks when we were doing an initial attack, which was handy. You know, you had an extra set of eyes. They could be your lookout for breakouts behind the fire truck. You know, and at the same time, they were helping people with the hoses. You know, any rocks, they could be helping out the drivers if there was any rocks. You know, as long as you had three points of contact, you know, a handrail, your feet on the ground, and you're sitting down. You know, that's why a lot of our trucks have that extra skid surface. You know, and the extra handrails on the side was for that purpose, you know. But uh, that was a good thing. You know, the Army of Engineer Corps even came down and, and did a study, and they said, yeah, as long as you got three points of contact, it's good. And then, uh, but in 2007, at the beginning of that fire season, they took it away from us, and uh, I wish they'd bring it back. Yeah, me too. That's, that's one thing is like, man, dude, even uh, when you take the oh shit hose, you know, and knocking some big flames down, that's that, man, that helped a lot, dude. Yeah. It, it does. It, it was like, wow. There used to be an old shit hose on top of a lot of the trucks. Yeah. Plus the ones on the side, so. Yeah, that was, that was pretty sick. So, um, another. You know, for the morning checklist, you know, you know, what do you check in the morning? I mean, I know you do. Everybody's gonna do the morning checklist, the PI. But do you have any other special little techniques? I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, you added on to that. You know, for, you know, for me, as being an engine captain, me, it's checking out the crew, seeing how thorough of a job they're doing, seeing what kind of condition was the crew doing. Did they go out partying? Did they get plenty of rest? You know, it, it gives me time to see what kind of a day I'm going to have with my crew. You know, uh, we hopefully, uh, before they do it on themselves, you know, we've trained them what to check for. You do want to be sure that your truck is uh, has all its fluids in it, topped off with water, foam, you know, food, water, you know, everything you might need to be out on the fire line for 72 hours. But at the same time, it gives me a chance to check out the crew. That's what I like doing. As an engine captain, that's what I do. Yeah, I, that's that's one of the big things, you know. 
you never know if they're going out partying and stuff like that. But you know, I will. You know, for me, I hide stuff here and there because sometimes I think they skip some stuff and they just check check the checklist off. You know. Well, as a captain, uh, we are supposed to be out there with them, and I always am. I'm out there when they do it. You know, I make sure they're not skipping nothing. And after a while, it becomes second nature to them because uh, when you go on these project fires where there's big fire camps, chances are they're going to be doing those checklists when you're in briefings. So that's why I stay with them when we're in the yard doing the checklist, making sure they're being thorough. So that way, when I'm not there, like when the project fires up, I know they're doing good. And at the same time, if there's any problems, let's uh, get it fixed so we don't have problems. You know, if it's predictable, it's preventable. And uh, it could be as easy as changing out a light bulb or we're running low on uh, antifreeze, you know, it's it's the little things. Sometimes it's the little things that's gonna make a success or fail. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty good. Um, I got another question I want to ask you is like you know, on training. What's your, you know, uh, how do you train people and have fun doing it on the fire line or even off the even doing sand sand table exercise? Well, Poncho, you know this as well as I do. I think the best training comes with the hands on. Yeah. You know, we we spent three summers together at the Rogerson Guard Station where after PT we would train up until lunch and, and it's hands-on, you know, uh, we dug handline around the town of Rogerson yeah. where everybody got to see what natural fuel breaks were, you know, and everything, you know, it's uh, nothing beats hands-on, you know, you can talk to, talk it to death and then it's keeping your crew informed on what's going on when you're on the fire. Okay, expect this. This happens, do this, do that. And most of all, if they got questions, answer them, you know? And if you don't know the answer, go find the answer. You know, especially the, the first and second year folks, they should have a lot of questions. And, uh, and as leaders, we gotta be there for them. So that way they, they feel comfortable doing their job. And when they feel comfortable doing their job, we're gonna do a better job for you. And, uh, you know, and when everybody, when you're done doing the hands-on, you know, they're sad people exercises. And they're all good. Sad people exercises are good so you can develop those photos to put in your slide box. So if you're ever stuck in this situation or a situation similar to that, oh, we did that in the sandbox. And we did this. We tried this again, it worked. We tried this and it worked. You know, it gives them something to go on. So, and you know, and the big thing about training is, uh, uh, just be sure you're doing it, you know? Yeah, I'm more on hands-on training. Yeah. It, dude, I love doing that hands-on training, man. Yeah, it's like, I like the hands-on. That's, man, using the hose to take the wind out of your face and doing mop-up, rubbing your feet, you, you know, know, all that little little things, man. It's just... It's the little things, Punch. You know, uh, you remember how we would uh, train the kids with the hoses back in the days. Everybody got to practice the hose on some black line, and. Yeah. And everybody, we got to show them the tactics on putting the nozzle up by your mouth because when the water comes out, it's actually pushing out a little fresh air. Yeah. So if they're getting low on oxygen, put the nozzle by your mouth to get a little more air. You know, it is those little things, you know. You know, to use spray or straight stream, you know. Yeah. The, you know, the first uh, lead hose. Lead hose and your second hose, you know, what are their. What are their uh, functions in putting out the fire. You know, it's the same way with uh, 
when on a shotgun when you're digging line, you know, you got your eight classroom, you got your drag shovel, and it takes every everybody from between the first and the last to do their job to pull their weight so you can keep things moving. If if, if the drag shovel's getting too much, I'll say take more. If the drag shovel has, has nothing to do, you should be saying bump up, you know, so, you know, so everybody's working, just not that lead philosophy guy, just not that person in the middle. You know, it, it's good training. You know, training is not wasted time. No, you know, and that's the question. That's the one thing people should ask that questions, you know, all the time. You know, so there's, I mean, what what was uh what, what what's one of the guys you I mean you look you looked up to you know your mentor, you know. You know, throughout the career there there's been a few. You know, the first one would have to be Cole Johnson, my superintendent off the hot shot crew. You know, going back to what I said earlier, he made me think for myself. You know, he explained things, and that's what I liked about Cole Johnson very much was he explained things very well. You knew what to expect. If this happens, do that. If that happens, do this. And uh, you know, and he, back in those days, there was no 133 class. Look up, look down, look around. But he he was teaching us to do that. See what the clouds are doing. See what the smoke palms doing. What are those branches doing? You know, are the winds are picking up? Are those branches and those trees moving? You know, so that that made me a safer firefighter, a more knowledgeable one. And he taught us fire behavior, and that's and that's something I think we need to. It's hard to teach without being on a fire. Fire behavior, you know. But uh, you know, he was he made you think for yourself. And then another person that I monitored was uh, mentored me quite a bit was my first year as a soldier in '88. His name was Kelvin Daniels. You know, I had the least amount of experience. He had a lot more than me, and I remember our first fire after our first shift, which happened to be nights. You don't fall trees at night, but you know, you can limb them up and we cut a lot of brush. And uh, I had a lot of questions for him at the end of the shift. And uh, he answered every single one of them. And all he wanted to do was go to sleep. He was laying there in the shade. We were sitting by a road, waiting for a truck to come by and pick us up. And he was laying down with a bandana over. And I had a lot of questions and he answered them all. <laughs> You know, and he taught me lots that year, and that's hopefully something I could pass on. Running the chainsaw with others, uh, you know, might be old-fashioned. It worked. I was a soldier for four years out of that. The last year I was the saw boss on the crew, and, and it was great. It was a great accomplishment for me. And then with the BLM, you know, uh, talking with Greg Haxby, you know, he was a great mentor where he... Uh, you know, just his knowledge of fires, how he kept calm, you know, and he says, well, he was, he had, he was like, if we don't catch it on this hill, we'll catch it on the next one, you know. You know, he, just his calm manner, you know, when, well, those fires are, there are two different kind of fires that you do, you know, uh, with the shots, you're doing like indirect attack versus with the BLM grass fires, you're direct attack, you know, and if, it could be very intimidating driving up next to flames 20 feet high, you know, and you got your crew or yourself down there with the hose putting that out, you know, and just to remain calm, you know, I loved how he remained calm while making calls and everything. And then working with great folks like yourself, Pancho, you know, teaching, you know, he taught me the little things on the nozzle by the mouth, 
where air comes out, you know, and I've seen you put out flames with uh, our three-quarter inch holes where other trucks, that would, they're pulling out their well, shit holes, you know. It could be done if you know what to do, you know. <laughs> and uh, you start at the base, you know, you, you see too many folks, too, when they pull out the old shit holes, they're just putting it in the middle of the flames. <laughs> you know, it doesn't do much good. You gotta hit the, the base, you know. And, and, and it's things like that that's been mentors to me where, okay, that works, that's good. You know, uh, want to just be sure to pass that on too to other folks and hopefully you know at the same time hopefully the folks out there are smart enough to see and pick up on it themselves yeah it, 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 it's pretty cool you know teaching stuff like that you know like i said i mean a couple of years ago man and one of those forcers when i was at a heavy plant boss in uh in uh, elko nevada you know seeing a forcer stage from uh, i think it was region five i'm not 100 sure but trying to take their, uh, you know, doing a hose leak off the road. It was a flat land out in the desert. It's like, whoa, what's going on here, you know? And taking them on, off the side and trying to teach them, hey, dude, this is how you fight fire. This is how we do mobile attack, you know? You know, it was just, you know, their eyes were open. And I think for me, it's, you know, it's 2021 right now. And that's the stuff we got to teach new people from off district, you know, have you ever fought fires in the BLM land? How fast they you know, and that's what thing, you know, I'm going to start doing, and I started doing is like, hey, man, I know you're from the Forest Service. Have you ever fought fires here in South Idaho? This is how we do it, you know. Yeah. Are you two-wheel drive or four-wheel drive, man? Because, <laughs> you know, that's yeah. another big thing, man. It's like, holy crap, man. I don't, yeah. I don't know if I can get you up there. I mean, I can get you a chase and make you a squad, but your engine's going to be staying down here below, man, because you can't drive that up there. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised how many two-wheel drive vehicles are still out there. There, there is still quite a few. And then what I've noticed too, when we ran into this situation last year on a task force was uh, they, they don't carry spares. You know, I mean, you know that should be on your engine check. Yeah. You know, but uh, there the were contract engines, you know, they weren't federal, so they're just trying to utilize the space that they got with as much things as, after a while you get too much stuff. You know? Yeah, so, so you know, you, you as a uh, you know working with other agents like other agencies you know was it uh, hard for you to get started off when you started learning this like maybe people trying to be new task force or, you know i mean how, how do you work with these multiple agencies you know how do you get along with them or how can you get make them get along with each other you know one of the best things you can do is find out and talk to them you know just don't that first briefing so much to try to bring people together. Okay, you know, you ask them, okay, if you're talking to this engine, you know, what are your claws in this truck? EMTs, you know, followers, you know, to go to the next truck. And, you know, be writing this down so you know yourself who to call, you know, uh, and, and give them some information about yourself. Okay, I'm so and so, I've been with them 21 years, you know, 30 years total. Give them some of your background so they're comfortable with you and, you know, and, and just, and it, and it seemed like it could be hard, but uh, it seemed like the older the folks, the easier it is, you know, sometimes you, you get these younger kids and, and uh, they think they already know everything, well, guess what, you know, and if they give me that kind of attitude, they're the ones that are going to get the least amount of uh, 
fire time on the fire line. You know, the ones who show, the ones, you know, and doing an inspection on their vehicles. Are they two-wheel drive? How much water are they carrying? You know, you know there's, there's a lot of things, you know, you can do. But that first initial briefing, you know, give them as much information as they want and get all the information that you need. And, and things all not together. Yeah. Yeah, it, you know, that's, that's one thing is like, man, dude, it's like, who are these people and where they come from and what, what part are they used to fighting? Yeah. You know, so, you know, bringing people from Florida all the way over here, you know. And it happened last year, I was task force with some New Jersey engines, okay? You know, back home, they're just used to these little 20, 30 acre fires, you know, and, and it was great, you know. Have they called in bucket drops? Have they worked on helicopters? Have they dug much line, you know, even mopping up? You know, I had a, a gentleman on a, he was 65 years old, retired from being a professor. This was his third year, third fire ever. You know, he was asking me okay questions about mopping up, and I said, well, let me line these folks up, and, and I'll show you, and I'll help you, you know. We mopped up a whole tank together, and then he got the, he got the picture of it, you know. And just coming together, spending some time with them, just don't uh, go up to them and say, okay, you here, you there, you there, I'll be here. No, go check on them, go, you know, you gotta bullshit with them a little bit, you know, laugh. You know, you know, you're good at that, you're a good people person. That's what a lot of it is. That way, at the same time, they feel comfortable with you. If they got questions, concerns, or not sure, you know, when you do give them uh, directions on what to do in the morning, you know, you can tell. I look around to see if I got that deer in the headlight look, to see if they understood. <laughs> have, have, them, have them repeat it back to you, too. You're going here, you're going to be what? Okay, you're doing here, you're doing what? Okay. You know, you got to build yourself up for success. And to be honest with you, I almost, I like being task force with crews I don't know. You know, because it makes me feel more like a firefighter, keeps me on my toes, it has to bring out everything that I know on uh, for safety and to get the mission done. That's, that's you know, it, I mean, working with the edges, man, I, I, I love it. I love teaching. You know, if I see somebody like, man, like, all right, you come from California, you know, it's like, all right, you're what, zero elevations or, or yeah. well, 500 feet elevation, they're coming to Idaho and they're working between three to 600 feet elevation. You know they're gonna be slow for a first couple of days so they get activated to the, you know, oxygen. You know, the same way. Yeah, so that's why you gotta- go to Wyoming or take that. Yeah, 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 yeah. go to Colorado, 9,000 feet. I'm slow no matter what. <laughs> Sometimes you gotta go slow to go fast. That don't know shit. Whoever thought of that was a beast. So I might give him that. Oh man, dude. Oh, it, so uh, another, I got another question here. Is uh, well, I mean, for let's say, uh, uh, man, I had a good one here. Man, you answer that question right now. Like working around with other engines. Uh, what else do you think we should uh, work in the future on these fires like coming up maybe in, in 2021? Like for me, seeing snow in Texas, it's like, okay, when there's snow, there's gonna be grass. And there was grass, there's gonna be maybe wildfires this year, you know? I mean, I don't know, man. It's just, it's, it's a crazy year. You know, I mean, what, what, what's your prediction this year maybe? I mean, it's a hit and miss. You know, Most of the time- start prediction. It kind of goes out the window a little bit, Ponch, you know, it's, uh, 
That's how many people. Depends <laughs> where you're at. If you, if you get sense of Texas, well, when you're checking in, is this normal for weather? Is it usually hotter, colder, windier? What has it been like the last couple of weeks? You know, did you have a lot of rain this winter? You know, it's okay to ask a few questions. It only takes a few minutes. It gives you an idea of what to expect out there. You know, you know that's the beauty of this job. We just don't know the sagebrush instead of the night of it. You know, I've had the privilege of being on the shots where I've mopped up, dry mop versus using water. You know, I've been to Florida. You know, mopped up there, dug line there, cut down trees there versus you know being in Texas, California. It's all different. You know, I mean, our knowledge of fires is extensive. You know, everybody's who's done it for a few years, their uh, tool box should be filled with slides from all these experiences that they've had themselves. It's been, it's been a wonderful. I got so many of them. You know, I got two years left and I retire out of fire. And uh, the memories I have is, is priceless. You know, yeah, and that's why I'm trying to ask you these questions before you're gone. You know, this is, I mean, people need to know this stuff because. I mean, we're losing good captains. I mean, we, I mean, no, don't get me wrong. There's still a lot of good captains out there and a lot of knowledge, but really? you know, people like you. I mean, it's, it's slim pickings, you know. You and, know, I've been lucky enough where I've fought fuels in, in all kinds of types, and and, uh, and I have, I've asked questions. What's this like? What's that? What does this do? What does that do? What to expect? And uh, so that way, I can pass it on to my crew as an engine boss, and at the same time. Cole was doing it. We went to a fire in Texas when I was on the hotshot crew, and we're like, really? You know, and, and uh, that was in '89, and uh, no, 1990. And then uh, we were in cactuses, didn't know what to expect. And uh, Cole asked questions, and he came back, and he, and he told us what to expect. He said, like these cactuses, they got very shallow roots, so if it burns down the roots, they're going to start rolling. And we were on some steep hills, and. So we knew what to expect, you know, so there was always somebody we had to look out on top just for cactuses, you know. It, it's those things that's going to build you up for success, you know, and, you know, and uh, enjoy. Yeah. Enjoy because, uh, you know, it can be very hard, dirty work. Yeah. Know, at the same time, it's very rewarding, yeah. you know, and... Uh, yeah. Let's talk about, about burnouts, dude. I mean, I remember uh, we did a lot of practice on burnouts and burn off your tires and do, do a wet line and burn off the wet line, just to do some stuff. But in Texas, man, I remember that year we met up, man, the judge says, if you do any burning, man, they can throw you in jail. And yeah. I, <laughs> I was sleeping with the Javelinas and you were sleeping in a nice hotel, man. That was <laughs> Sometimes that happens. Yeah, it is. But that was a good fire, I learned a lot, you know, just... You know, you do learn, and sometimes that's where our experience can come in. I know the team, the team actually got kicked off that fire because they did do some burns to the judges. You know, I guess the judge in each county in Texas holds a lot of weight. He, he's the man. <laughs> when he found out they burned, he kicked that team off, and they had to send in a whole new team. But, uh, you know, that goes to show you that they've never experienced on how to fight fire with fire. Sometimes, you know, like where we do direct attack, well, if, how I look at it, when I start burning, if the flames are higher in my fire truck, it's time to burn out. We can catch them if they're, when I'm sitting in the driver's seat, if they're, the flames are as high as the truck, we can do direct attack. If they're higher in the truck, it's time to think of different options. And the only option we got is usually to back off to a road, two track, dozer line, 
and burn out. You know, it, it's very effective. Mm -hmm. But you know, there's things to consider. Is there animals trapped in there? Humans, uh, engines, firefighters, horse, cattle. You know, power lines, houses. You know, there's a lot of things uh, taken perspective there. But uh, but sometimes, uh, and sometimes you only got a minute to think of all that. Uh, my first year with the BLM, you know, we didn't do no burning when I was on the contracting unit. And we did a lot of burning on the, when I was on the shop crew. But their, our tactics are completely different, you know, to, before you start burning on a, on a timber fire, project fire, you go through a checklist. And on BLM fires, it's the engine boss. They could be making that decision right away if you're gonna burn, you know, and sometimes you only got a minute or two. My first year, I remember, uh, I was in the tech, I was an engine boss on a Tac 6 engine and the Tac 4 engine was in front of me and, the, and these flames were heading straight to the house. He's driving down the road, throwing that fuses out the window. And it, it was effective and it worked. That was something I'd never seen before, but I remember thinking, this is one crazy guy. His name's Nate Nose. He was, he was another mentor of mine. Oh, he's a good guy, man. You know, I learned a lot from him, you know. Because it, it, it was too different. You know, I, I knew about safety zones. You know, and that's why I, was, I got hired on with the, the BLM was the, my experience I had with the shock crew. But I'll tell you what, there, there's two different worlds. Two different kinds of fires. They both got their own dangers, you know. You know, uh, the BLM fires, you know, the grass fires tend to be very explosive, very fast. Gotta be quick, you know, versus the timber fires. It, you know, it, it's a... Uh, slow your pace down a little bit because you might you're gonna chances are you're gonna be there for two to three weeks you know so yeah it is that's good all right well i'm gonna hold off there and then um if i ever get a chance in the future let's uh, see what stories he has to tell and yeah. and uh you know these different fires you know we've been together i mean i got a lot of knowledge as well but that's gonna be a different time, um, but I just wanted to get Skrill's uh, knowledge of uh, his fire experience and uh, his fire world before it's too late and gone. I mean, hope he doesn't pass away, but <laughs> we're gonna be fishing before you know it. He's gonna be fishing down the Bahamas or further in the snow. And right now, just to let you know, we're sitting punching myself. We're sitting in a hot tub. <laughs> Yeah, that's why if you hear that elk behind us. In Ely, Nevada, <laughs> looking out the window watching it snow and it's March 10th. <laughs> what kind of fire season are we going to have? I don't know. Oh, yeah, we don't it know. might be a while. <laughs> yeah, but, like, have, a great, have a great day, guys. Bye.